Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to episode four of Real Talk with me, Anna Fajajski. In this episode, I speak to Kimberly Freeman, who is the Executive Officer of Public Engagement at Queen Mary University of London. Kimberly came to talk to me about a historic material which she is completely obsessed by. Welcome, Kimberly. It's great to have you on the podcast. Good to be here. So today we're going to be talking about a material also called, get this, Polyoxybenzyl meth- polyoxybenzylmethylenglycolanhydride. Yeah. Also- Baker light's a lot easier to say, isn't it? Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you're on the show because you're a Bakelite fan, obsessive, enthusiast. I am. I am obsessed by it and other plastics, to be fair. Um, I'm not only dedicated to Bakelite, but it is something I'm quite obsessed by. So let's first tell the listeners, what is Bakelite? Bakelite is, um, ooh, it depends how interested you are. For some people, it's plastic. For some people, it's old plastic. And for other people, it's the first thermosetting plastic, which makes it really interesting. Um, it's a brand name, quite interestingly. Um, so we tend to use the term Bakelite to refer to anything made of this, as you wonderfully described, long, <laughs> long-winded long chemical name substance. Um, but actually, there were lots of companies that produced it under lots of different names. So Bakelite comes from the guy who invented it, uh, who was uh, Mr. Leo Henrik Bakerland. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's named very much after him. And he created it as all... I think brilliant discoveries happen while trying to make something else. Okay, so what was his story? What was he trying to make? He was trying to make a kind of synthetic shellac, as far as I've been able to read, um, and instead discovered that the thing that he had made wouldn't come out of the test tubes he was making it in, um, thus discovering that it set and couldn't be moved again after you'd heated it up, which Ah. made it brilliant for um, insulating electricals. So was insulating electricals the first application? Yes, that's why it was interesting, because it doesn't catch fire very easily. Mm -hmm. Um, But very quickly, it's lightweight, it's really colourful, it can be carved into lots of beautiful things. And this was in uh, sort of the early 1900s, so 1910, I think. Um, But by the time you get to the 1940s, it's considered patriotic to be wearing plastic jewellery rather than metal jewellery, because all the metal was going to the war. Uh, so you get lots of beautiful jewellery made out of Bakelite and other plastics. Oh, that's fascinating. I love that. I've got a fun fact here about Leo Bakerland, <laughs> which is that um, 
So he originally became wealthy because he developed a new photographic paper. Oh, so that's where that. he, where all his money came from. And with his money, he um, brought a house in Yonkers in New York, nice, um, called Snug Rock. Amazing. Which is a bit <laughs> of a strange house name. Um, and he built this. Well, I don't know if he built the house, but he purchased the house and he set up his own lab there. Mm. Um, and that's, I guess, where he discovered this Bakelite material. Amazing. That's where it all went wrong for me, that, that <laughs> moment back in history. And suddenly all my money gets spent on old bits of plastic, cemented <laughs> by this man and his snug rock. <laughs> so how many pieces of this plastic jewellery do you have, Oh, do you no, that's a question I should have prepared for. I don't <laughs> know. Many. Cupboards full. Oh, wow. So um, I haven't counted the collection in a long time. Um yeah, quite a lot. And you bought some here to show me. I did. Well, I bought some bangles because these are the kind of easiest thing to talk about. So <laughs> I don't wear bangles very often because um, I find they clank about. They but do. for a lot of people who wear Bakelite, that's kind of the point. Um, so people who collect plastic, especially plastic jewellery, we tend to be very obsessed by what kind of plastic it's made from <laughs> because that dictates how much it's worth, how you look after it, how old it is. And so people get very into testing Bakelite. And apparently the sound it makes when it clanks against each other is different from when other plastics clank against each other. Oh. I have never tried that. I don't know if let's, that's true. Let's try it now. So okay, go on. This is Bakelite. <laughs> Those are both Bakelite. <laughs> See? Well, yeah, it's quite a dull sound. Like, I bought these two. So my other collection is Lucite, which is, again, a brand name. It's just acrylic. Mm -hmm. um, but that's the, we tend to call it that when you're collecting all stuff. And so these have been... These are Lucite bangles and they have been reversed carved to have a pattern in them. But if Ooh. you clank those together, they should sound lighter. I can tell no difference at all. Okay, <laughs> let's repeat this. So this is the Lucite. This is Lucite. And this is Bakelite. <laughs> They're exactly the same. Exactly the same. It's all lies. It's all lies. Well, maybe to the trained ear, there's some sort of... I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe I've been swindled. Like these, those tests as Bakelite with all the other tests I know. So I'm fairly convinced I haven't just like scuppered the experiment by bringing you <laughs> two sets of acrylic bangles. So what are the other tests then? <laughs> oh, there are so many. Um, so uh, the one I tend to use a lot because I'm not very good at the others. Um, you can buy a metal polish called Simachrome and you can rub it against um, the Bakelite with a white cloth normally, and it will go from its pinkish colour to a kind of dark orange colour if it's Bakelite. Mm. But not everything will test that way. It depends what colour the Bakelite was originally. But that's great. The main way is that it smells funny. Okay. <laughs> I'm really selling this as a thing to collect, isn't it? Like, <laughs> it makes a noise, it's expensive, it smells funny. <laughs> it's really, really lovely Wait, stuff. so do these bangles smell funny? They do. You have to get it hot. Oh. So the, the test they describe is to rub your thumb against it until your thumb gets quite hot and then smell okay. your thumb. Can I, do you mind if I do it? No, the... please, smell my jewellery. <laughs> it's not weird at all. <laughs> and um, a lot of books that you read about this, they tell you that actually you're smelling formaldehyde. Um, ah. But I don't think you are. I think you're smelling a carbolic acid instead because I've been in, in detecting labs. I used to work in one and been around formalin a lot and it doesn't quite smell the same to me I think because it's a kind of chemically smell yeah people who who writing these books go oh, I think that must be the right. sort of formalin that you're smelling in the in the compounds yeah. but are you getting a whiff of that no I mean it, it does <laughs> smell but it doesn't it doesn't smell like 
nasty. No, it's kind of a oh. warm kind of, uh, a bit like nail polish, you know, that kind of oh, okay. sort of yeah. smell against other plastics which you don't get. And if, if you mm. run them under a hot tap and then have a whiff it, they get quite tongy. Right, yeah. <laughs> but when you're wearing them? The no, they don't smell then. It's really just a thing that, and you see people at antique fairs kind of picking up bangles in like bargain buckets and being like, just going to have a look smell <laughs> just to see if I think it's worth anything. A quick sniff. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's not something... <laughs> I've ever really successfully managed to do, but um, I know people do it. Amazing. It, yeah, it's a thing, actually, that I would uh, challenge all material scientists out there is to talk to us a bit more because there are literally hundreds of forums of people who are obsessed by this stuff discussing how to test it and why it smells the way it does and how do I find out what it is and what's it really made of. And, like, one of you guys could turn up in those forums and just be sort of king or queen for a day answering <laughs> all of these questions. <laughs> I love the idea of a smell test as like a materials characterization technique. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it is. So I've, I've chatted to some of the, the, con- the conservation labs and, and they, they are using kind of, I guess it's kind of a bit like mass spectrometry to break down the smells that come out of decomposing plastic to work out what they're made from. So oh, wow. there, is a, there is a scientific endeavor to this as well as just mad people at antique fairs sniffing bangles. <laughs> One of my friends also claims that if you lick it, it will make your tongue go funny. Oh, dear. But I've never tried that, so I have mm. no comparison, and I, I'm not terribly comfortable with the idea of licking plastic jewellery on yeah, a Yeah, that, that's a next-level weirdness, isn't it? it Although, is. like, licking materials to try and find out what they are is a historic thing. Like, really? chemists back in the day before they had all this fancy equipment, that's one of the things that they would do to test, wow. to find out, to characterise the material. I will go back to my plastic jewelry community and say, we're not weird, guys. We're just like chemists <laughs> from way back when. <laughs> exactly. Um, so one of the tests you can do um, that you should never do, but some of the early books say you should do, is to put a hot pin. So heat up a pin really hot and then put it into the Bakelite to see whether you make a dent in it or not and to see what it smells like. Okay. Which I guess is try testing whether it's a thermoset plastic or not. Yep. Um, but obviously what you've done if you haven't proved whether it's Bakelite or not, is ruined a piece of potentially quite expensive jewellery. <laughs> and there yeah. are a few pieces floating around where you see that this has been done and it, it's, it's a real shame. Mm. Um, but if you, as I say, if you, you buy some of these books that you can get quite cheaply around, um, some of them will say, oh, a good way to test if it's Bakelite or not is to heat up a pin and stab mm. a piece of potentially <laughs> survived for 60 years jewellery <laughs> just to work out what it's made from. Um yeah, I don't, I don't recommend that. Never do that. Um, you will be the enemy of everyone who ever wants to collect any plastic jewellery. But <laughs> it's it, this kind of weird obsession that people have with working out what the material is means they'll go to quite, I think, quite extreme lengths to work out what it is. <laughs> yeah, that's what in the business, that's what we would call a destructive test. <laughs> yes, I would say very much that's a very good description <laughs> of what people are doing. Whereas we prefer non-destructive testing like the smell test. Yeah, everyone loves smelling things, right? That's <laughs> all you remember from chemistry, like smell this. Oh, yeah, for sure. That and a squeaky pop. <laughs> he doesn't have a smell and a squeaky pop. It sounds bad. Um, so you said that you used to work in a lab. What did you used to do? Oh, well, um, so I was a, an archaeologist initially um, and then kind of retrained in forensic archaeology, so learning how to apply what I knew how to do in a, in a legal context, um, which involves often working at a dissecting lab because those are normally the places in campuses or universities which have licences to hold human remains. So mm-hmm. if you want to do any work... Um, any reconstruction work, any profiling work, um, you tend to be working in a lab. Um, I tend to worry for the state of the world because I was once in a dissecting lab and I was sorting a big box of femurs. So just all femurs. Leg all, bones. All leg bones. Yeah. 
um, and a first year medical student came up to me and asked if I was reconstructing a skeleton. Um, and I do question his anatomical knowledge if he thought that we're made only of legs. <laughs> it's like there's no skull here, there's no spine, there's no arms, there is just, it's just a, a body made of thighs. Um, the leg bone is connected to the leg bone. <laughs> to, to the leg bone, to the shin bone, to the leg bone again. Uh, it's all just a horrible monster. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what I did. But there's, you know, I didn't work directly with formalin, but it, it is mm. everywhere. Um, and you definitely know the smell when you been in a dissecting lab all day you are very glad to be outside and breathe some fresh air in because formaldehyde is pretty horrible stuff mm. um and also is in bakelite so um it's not a particularly nice material to work with which is why people don't work with it anymore ah i see so when it was invented in 1910 it was this revolutionary mm. new hello this is anna from the future just to let you know that it was actually 1907 thing and everyone got really excited and started making telephones out of it and telephones uh radios uh yep all kinds of stuff okay and then we don't use it anymore it's not very nice to produce i apparently okay i don't know much about this but because of the smell or the smell because of the chemicals involved in it i think yeah. it's um and also it we've got better plastics now i think to do those things with right um so it's it's kind of it seems obsolete for a lot of things that you might want to use it for which is a shame because it's a lovely thing i think um but it doesn't it's more stable than a lot of other plastics, but it, it does still change colour over time. Mm. And it's, um, say, it, because of this changing colour, people tend to want to polish it. But that's quite a dangerous thing to do. Um, people argue whether it's completely safe or whether it's not, because it depends how you feel about inhaling kind of right. fine powdered formaldehyde. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not great for most people. I mean, I, d I don't know if it's going to do any long-term damage, but I mean, it's a, it doesn't sound like an appetising thing to do. No, no, not really. <laughs> so this green one here, which um, you can't see, obviously, listeners, but uh, Anna can, uh, was probably blue. Oh, wow, okay. Um, when it was first made. And any that you see that are kind of um, a nice butterscotchy yellow would yeah. have been white. Oh, wow, so they really have changed colour yeah, quite a lot. Yeah, they do. And if you polish them down on a sander, um, I don't recommend this unless you know what you're doing. Yeah. Um, they do, you can get down to a layer where you see the original colour. So it's a surface thing. Yeah. Um, the surfaces have changed colour. And again, these forums I spend too long on, mm. there's huge amounts of debate as to whether it's oxidation, whether it's UV, what, what does actually make it change colour over time? No one, I'm sure people do know, but there are so many people who don't know, who claim <laughs> they do, that it's really hard to work out what the truth is. <laughs> Amazing. Um, Bakelite is the first thermosetting plastic, you said. Mm -hmm. um, so what's the difference between a thermoset and a thermoplastic? Um, I, I, I'm guessing that this, this doesn't change shape. Once it's been heated and set in shape, that's it. Um, that's unlike fine. other plastics where you, if you reheat them, you can change the shape again. So this means that these bangles aren't reusable, they're not recyclable. No, they're pretty much they're in that shape now. You know, one of the things I found when I was working as an archaeologist is that you didn't find kind of pewter things at all because those just get melted down and reused right. so it's actually very hard to find things contemporary to the period you're looking at that are still around because everyone's just reused the material um so that's not going to happen with bakelite it is it does smash people do throw it away but it's not gonna be melted into something new yeah how much bakelite is there around like are these pieces particularly rare or um there's quite a lot of it around it depends where you are so there's a lot more of it seemingly in america Okay. Um, we tend to have a lot more lucite stuff over here. It's very easy to find these kind of reverse carb lucite things in, in Britain. Um, Bakelite is more expensive uh, over here because there isn't as much of it. So you're, you know, you're looking at, right, if I was antique fair, these bangles would be anywhere between 20 and 40 quid each. Wow. 
Um, I didn't pay that much for them because um, I have friends who help me out. Um, I know people. <laughs> I know people who know people who go shopping in America uh, where you can still find them in like Goodwill for like 50 cents each. Wow. So um, it, it depends where you are and what you're looking for. Um, some of the more expensive pieces are very expensive, um, you know, thousands of pounds worth, um, wow. which like all collectibles, you look at them and you wonder whether anyone has ever actually paid that much to own one of those mm. or whether that's just kind of what antique dealers will tell you it's worth. Um, the kind of books that collector's guides will have things for £700 quite often, but I don't ever know whether anyone ever... I mean, I think some people do spend a lot of money on it. You know, I've mm. spent... I think the most I've ever spent is £165 on a brooch, which wow. is a lot of money. And a moment <laughs> when you do have to look at yourself in the mirror and question... Go, if I ever complain why well, I'm never going on holiday again, this brooch is why. <laughs> well, there are worse things to spend lots of money on. There are, I think. I mean, I'm not harming anyone. <laughs> Just my future. <laughs> no animals were harmed in this hobby. No. They were badly represented in plastic, but they weren't harmed. <laughs> because these things are often quite expensive, obviously people will fake them in order to take your money from you. Um, and so I really enjoy the term Fakelite as a name for yeah. kind of modern resins which are masquerading as Fakelite, okay. um, often carved into the same shapes that you would have seen the old pieces. Mm. But um, I have one piece which I think is a fake. But again, from my archaeology days where I used to compare kind of um, a bunch of the numismatic collection, so with old coins, looking at fakes was really interesting. So I bought it because I thought it was a fake because <laughs> I wanted to find out the difference. So, uh -huh. yeah, um, but I really enjoy the term, just the idea of you've got Bakelite and then you've got the fake light. Yeah, I love it. That's brilliant. <laughs> what do you think is the charm of Bakelite jewellery? Um, I think it's, I mean, part of my love of, of vintage costume jewellery is the wackiness of it. Is you know, when you look at kind of jewellery trends over history, there is times when when times were pretty good economically you get really daft jewelry because people could afford to buy something which would only go with one outfit mm -hmm. you know rather than you had one brooch that was going to last you for your entire life you could have a giant plastic tomato to pin to that one suit <laughs> um you could have a, a tiny miniature set of workman's tools rendered in bakelite to pin to your lapel i mean these things are out there and i really enjoy that daftness and i think part of the fact that bakelite is brightly colored it's very shiny um, and it, it's light, so you can have really big pieces of jewellery mm. um, that aren't uncomfortable to wear. And I really enjoy that. And I, apart from my archaeology days, I really love stuff which was everyday, which was kind of mundane. It wasn't necessarily mm. special. So I really enjoy the badly made ones. <laughs> so the ones that were really cheap. <laughs> um, so the kind of poorly carved ones, like a really wonky duck brooch, <laughs> is like the pinnacle of my collection. <laughs> like it, they've obviously carved 400 of those that day. And this one is like the last one. <laughs> it's got a oh. wonky eye. Like that's, that's what I want to collect. I'm really classy in my jewellery taste. <laughs> That's really sweet, it's because that duck's got a story, hasn't it? It does, yeah. And I think also vintage plastics, people like the the mythos around them. And, you know, I mentioned Lucite, which is the other one I like. That's, um, you know, it was used in Spitfire windscreens. And oh. so people like to tell stories of these brooches being offcuts from Spitfire windscreens that were carved by sweethearts, you know, and sent to their <laughs> their friends or their, their, their men away at war or whatever. So there's a kind of um, mythos around a lot of old plastic jewellery to do with, our romanticism of that era, which I don't think it was a particularly nice time to live. I don't want to go back there, but I will wear some of their jewellery. <laughs> I'm really interested in the fact that you said that it was considered quite a patriotic thing to do. Yes, it was. I mean, I, I think there's, again, there's a lot of kind of myths around how much that was the case, but certainly there were um, kind of covers of magazines with the kind of famous women of the day, the kind of um, models or, or actresses wearing plastic red, white and blue jewellery, mm. especially in America, um, 
to kind of say, you know, I'm not taking metal away from the war effort and I'm supporting our, our troops and all that kind of business. But I think it was also being used because it was a, a good material to use and mm. there's sort of Bakelite handbags and stuff, loose handbags and stuff that were being made. Oh, wow. um, but yes, there was definitely a feeling that it was the right thing to do. The high-end jewellery market kind of remains unchanged through this. You know, if you, you want a diamond, you still probably want a diamond. But it's the lower-end stuff that I think changes. And okay. Yeah. Lots of kind of souvenir pieces as well, kind of things you pick up for a dollar on, on your trip to the seaside. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that Bakelite is a material that artists particularly like working with? Or is it, in fact, the opposite? I don't know. Um, I mean, most of the stuff is carved, and a lot of the people who were carving it um, were working in wood before. Um, okay. So you see a lot of the same designs carved out of mm. wood and then carved out of Bakelite. So I imagine it behaves quite similarly. Um, but I, I don't know. The people who work on it today love it um, and are really like passionate about it and, and will talk for ages about how it's made and, and why they love it. But I don't know how it is to work. I mean, it it feels like you should be able to carve it quite easily, but I've never had a go, so I don't Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. That's really, I've never heard of a plastic being carved before. Yeah, most of them are. So I've got some books here, so I'm going to try and, I'm going to make a load of noise trying to show Anna a picture of a carved bangle, which is probably not worth it. But there we go. Um, oh wow, so it's got lots of, it's sort of got grooves along the side, it's very patterned. Yeah, and they get carved into all kinds of intricate shapes, so kind of florals, mm. um, yeah, little characters, uh, swirly shapes, all of that. So they would start like a, with a block of Bakelite and then they Yeah, well like a big it. tube, um, which you ah. then slice um, into the bangles and then carve them. So uh, yeah, there's one here that's been carved into a snake. Um, oh cool. <laughs> So yeah, it's again very similar to what they're working with wood. Same tools, yeah. Just moved over into into bakelite. That's really interesting. So was that the first, the first technique that they used to make bakelite objects? To make think? it story, I think so. Yeah, I mean, quite often it was also laminated into other things. So thin slices of it would be joined to, to wood or to other kinds of plastic or to other colours of bakelite. Um, but yeah, most of the the stuff that you really want to collect is is carved. Oh. Um, and that's the, the more deeply carved it is, normally the more expensive it is because that's more desirable. So there's a whole kind of hierarchy of 
of collectible Bakelites. Um, but yeah, carved, I, I imagine, with like a little Dremel. I don't know. Yeah, interesting. Because I just assumed that a thermo setting plastic would be injection molded. So melted down into a, or yeah, melted into a liquid and then injected into a sort of negative mold and then left to set and then removed. But that's not the case. No, yeah. they, they sort of formed it into long tubes. And you, you see them, they come up for sale every now and again on eBay. And every time I'm sort of tempted to start making my own jewelry, which will never happen because I don't have the skills or the money. But yeah, big long tubes and then they slice it off and, and carve them individually. And again, kind of rod stock. So mm. the brooches will be molded into a big long rod and then sliced. And you actually see um, how they went to different places. So you can see the same shape. And in some cases, it's been carved. And in other cases, it's been left flat and polished. And a brooch pin has been put on the back of it. So mm. you do kind of see these things all over. Amazing. So what jewellery do they do then? We've got bangles, brooches, you just said. Yep. Um, necklaces. So they didn't tend to make the chain, but they would make pendants out of it. Mm. Um, there are a lot of brooches around. Um, I prefer brooches because I don't like wearing bangles, which is a kind of... Heresy if you're a bakelite -like collector. <laughs> um, but bangles were kind of the, the most most commonly made bit of jewellery and that's what you tend to find most of. That's what people collect. Mm. And I suppose they're probably one of the most rapid to make and to make lots of. Yeah, I imagine you, know, you make a, a big kind of series of tubes and slice mm. off and, and there you go. And quite often you see them sometimes with the, their original tag on. So they were sold in like sets of four um, thin little bangles all in one colour with a little yeah. label around them um, and you still see those come up for sale every now and again. Oh wow, cool. If you could have any body parts made from Bakelite, what would it be? What would it be? Oh, that's a really tough question because I say I'm not sure I want a body part that's going to get slightly yellow over time <laughs> and smell bad. <laughs> and Definitely not Potentially nose. break um, and shatter and clink when it walks. I don't know. I mean, maybe just entirely Bakelite. This is an entirely Bakelite kind of robot body. <laughs> I um, love how you list like all of the negatives about Bakelite and then decide my entire body. My entire body. Just, well, you know, think about it. Like I'd never get old in that sense like everything would be this is true like lovely and marbled and maybe a nice green colour you would age very nicely I would I would get slowly more orange as <laughs> 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 over time unless someone polished me <laughs> um, what's the strangest piece of Bakelite jewellery you've ever seen um, I mean I've already spoken about the kind of really the wonky pieces like there are some that are just really why would anyone wear a brooch of that on themselves? <laughs> There's lots of tools, so like little saws and little spades. Really? And yeah, they're quite cute. Yeah. Um, but I do kind of wonder why you do that. Um, there are a lot of caricatures of people which I kind of think are to the modern sensibility quite insulting um so there's lots of kind of lazy mexicans sleeping under sombreros and stuff yeah oh, wow. oh it's bad um in you know part of part of my archaeology training you know it's, it's interesting to look at what material culture tells us about people and sometimes it tells us people aren't very nice <laughs> and so that there are some bits that you know no matter how collectible they are i would never wear them i would never want to own them so there's they're strange in that way but also there are just I mentioned there's, there's a lot of fruit, so kind of big kind of like aubergine or a big kind of tomato. Now, aubergine has changed in meaning it recently. Has. I'd probably wear it more now. <laughs> An emoji on your chest. Yeah, just, yeah, what of it? Giant vintage aubergine brooch. Um, <laughs> who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want a bit of frippery in their lives? A bit of vegetable-based rudeness. You'd definitely make people smile, wouldn't you? That, and I think, if, is a very good reason to wear jewellery. <laughs> Oh, wow. So these are some images of 
some, I guess, old style American Bakelite jewelry. They're very intricate, actually. I assume that they'd be quite simple, bangly type shapes. No, no, they are quite in the, you know, the layered, and so that this is the petrol. So this is the, the the one that everyone wants. This is a cover of Life magazine um, from 1941, and it's a, a brooch, which is a um, a kind of red heart with a keyhole out of it, and then a key pinned above it. You can tell how old it is because it's in this the cover of the magazine, and it's patriotic. So, oh, I love these little duckies. <laughs> yeah, so the other thing that people made little novelty items out of Bakelite, so you get lots of napkin holders, napkin um, rings, um, and people collect those as well. And yeah, those are little, little ducks. A napkin ring is one of those objects that I just know I'm never going to own. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a kind of, <laughs> at what stage in your life do you feel you've reached the point where you need to have your napkins rolled up into lovely little Into tubes. a little ducky ring, yeah. I mean, I do know people who like me, like to wear obnoxious jewellery, um, who have bought those and strung them onto a necklace just as really massive charms, nice. which I think is one way of, of it. But yeah, they're, um, they're, they are quite cute. They did wonderful things with it, and I think that's something quite nice about having people's time was much cheaper. So actually you could have people carving stuff by hand, and that was cheaper than moulding it in plastic, um, which is was now. So now everything wow. is produced very cheaply. Then they actually had banks of people carving stuff. And so the level of workmanship in the vintage pieces is much higher despite the fact these things were mass produced and sold very cheaply mm. amazing so if our listeners want to find out more about bakelite and maybe mm-hmm. get some jewelry of their own where would you recommend looking for bakelite jewelry i would recommend um looking online to start with don't buy anything online to start with because you'll buy a fake or you'll be charged too much mm-hmm. um but start looking because there are lots of um blogs and kind of um antique dealer websites out there that have lots of lovely pictures of stuff um i would recommend buying some books um, if you go on uh, kind of Amazon or, or a books and spend two pounds, you can probably buy fourteen books about <laughs> making like jewelry. Um, you know, a lot of these kind of old textbooky style things people don't really want. So yeah. you, you can not spend that much money and have a lovely kind of Sunday afternoon flicking through these nice high quality pictures of jewelry, and just go to antique fairs and chat to dealers and talk to people. Most people love this stuff, so they will be happy to talk to you about it. I would never recommend buying anything because you think it's worth money mm. i would only ever buy something if you love it and you want to wear it and you're happy with how much it costs very good advice yeah it's advice that i have to stick to very carefully <laughs> <laughs> and one of the blogs that they can look at is your own blog right it is yeah so if you google kimberly's jewelry journal you will find me and i post a photo of, of my jewelry every day um i don't just wear vintage jewelry i wear modern plastic jewelry too um but yeah i i needed an event for my obsession so um <laughs> i will <laughs> I share it with the world whether they want to know or not. <laughs> Every day is really committed. It is. Well, it started because um, people I used to work with said, if I don't see you one day, I miss a necklace. Um, <laughs> how can I find out what you're wearing? So oh. I started off by tweeting it and then that became a bit spammy. So I thought I'll, I'll put this somewhere sensible. So I've been sharing a photo of my jewellery every day for the past four years. So wow. I've been doing it for a long time. Um, there are some dodgy haircuts if you look back at some of the <laughs> selfies I took way back when. Like, blonde did not suit me. Purple wasn't a particularly good move. There's a blue stage in there. Like, it's wow. it tracks hair colours as well as jewellery taste. But, um, yeah, it's it's been a really useful way for me to track my collection and to yeah. talk to people. And I've met loads of brilliant people through doing it. So it's a lovely thing. So do you have a different piece of jewellery for every day of four years? No, I've definitely worn some pieces more than once. Like You had to think that. <laughs> <laughs> no, there are some bits that I love. There are definitely some favourites that I moved through, but there, um, I probably have enough to do that, which is quite worrying. 
<laughs> I'd love to see a picture of these cupboards that you've got at home. Yeah, I need to. So I was very lucky. So I used to work with a museum service and they were getting rid of some of their geology collection drawers. So they, for the cost of an Uber home, um, <laughs> I, I left with two cabinet, two museum quality cabinets to store it in. Wow, so there used to be like dead moles and like butterflies no, no, it was on pins. All, <laughs> it was all geology, so it was all rocks. So okay. it wasn't like too bad. Um, but now they've outgrown those. I've now got a couple of other vintage cupboards to put them in. So yeah, there's four cabinets full um, of modern and, and vintage stuff. Mm. Um, the difficulty is when you've got the really, really big pieces, like I have some that are made out of um, like G.I. Joe action figures from the 80s. <laughs> Well, like a full-on like yeah, yeah. Barbie and Ken size. Well, no, they're, like, they're slightly smaller. Oh, kind slightly of. smaller. Yeah, um, and so a big necklace made out of those, that's, you have to find a jaw that's quite deep <laughs> to get that in. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Kimberly. Thank it's, you for inviting It's been really great to talk to you. Where can people follow your blog? Are you on Twitter? So if you Google Kimberly's Jewelry Journal, you'll find my blog. Um, you can follow me on Instagram. I am Kim0006. Um, How many zeros? Four zeros. Three. Three zeros. Um, yeah. And uh, I'm the same on Twitter, but my Twitter account is largely uh, more to do with my work. So if you want to find out about the excellent public engagement Queen Mary at University of London does, follow me on Twitter. If you want to find out what ridiculous necklace I'm wearing, follow me on Instagram. I definitely will be. I can't <laughs> wait to see. So for our materials question this week, I'm actually joined in the studio by a curious materials lady, <laughs> Keris Bradley. Welcome to Real Talk. Oh, thank you very much for having me. And Keris is going to ask me a few questions about plastic and I'm going to attempt to answer in a brief and interesting fashion. I have so many questions about plastic. So right. here we go. Quick fire, you ready? Yeah. Is plastic a material? No. Plastic is a class of material, um, just the same like metals and ceramics as a class of material. The proper term for plastic is polymer. Okay. Um, are plastic dinosaurs actually made out of dinosaurs? Um, no, they're made of plastic and and don't think any dinosaurs were usually hurt in the making of plastic dinosaurs, but I could be wrong. Okay, someone needs to take down that meme. Um, <laughs> how much plastic could I eat before I died? Um, this I'm not 100% sure about. I guess like you just don't want to fill up your entire stomach with plastic. It doesn't very easily degrade, so you'd just be full of plastic. I wouldn't advise it. Um, what does plastic taste like? Just asking for a friend. <laughs> Uh, completely depends on the plastic. Um, some of them don't taste of anything, like if you lick plastic things in the room. <laughs> Doesn't taste of anything. <laughs> right. But if you licked a rubber, like that would taste of something, right? A rubber's made of plastic. Well, rubber's made of rubber. <laughs> Maybe the distinction is like natural rub natural plastics versus synthetic plastics. Okay. Uh, why does plastic take so long to degrade? Um, so basically it's to do with the energy that we put into making plastics. So plastics, if we speak if we're assuming that they're man made, which some of them aren't. Um, for example, natural rubber. But if we assume a man-made plastic, um, then these plastics are made from sort of petroleum derivatives. Um, and when it's in petroleum form, they're just like lots of molecules like just hanging about. Um, these molecules are monomers. But when we put energy in to make plastics, these monomers form into long chains called polymers. Um, and this takes a lot of energy input, which means that sort of natural things that would try and biodegrade it don't have enough energy or the means to biodegrade it. Um, so that's why plastics take so long to degrade. 
the main distinction of this is that synthetic polymers have carbon-carbon bonds, which aren't usually found, I don't think, in nature. So nature doesn't know what to do with these carbon-carbon bonds. However, some bacteria have been found to biodegrade some plastics. Okay. Uh, what colour is plastic before it is dyed? Usually it's white or transparent, but sometimes natural polymers might be a bit yellowy because they've got stuff in. So all the exciting colours are stuff that we've put in. Exactly. Yeah, pigments. Um, what does plastic look like in the wild? Well, so now we're talking about like natural plastics, for example, like rubber. So when rubber comes out of a tree, you make an incision in the bark and then like um, this white, like milky kind of fluid seeps out of the bark. And that's what plastic looks like in the wild. And what would happen if you drank it? Um, I think you'd get a really sore tummy. Okay. Um, if I melted plastic, like if I just melted that plastic bottle, could I turn it into something else? It depends what kind of plastic it is. Plastics are divided into two different kinds, thermosets and thermoplastics. Your plastic bottle is probably made of PET, polyethylene something, um, which is a thermoplastic. So yes, you can melt it down and reform it into any number of shapes that you want. A thermoset, as we've heard in today's show, like Bakelite, um, can't be melted down and reformed. So you have to choose carefully if you wanted to melt your bottle down into something else. Does that determine whether or not something's recyclable or not? Yes, exactly. So a thermoplastic material can be melted down and recycled. Um, what would happen if you froze plastic? Uh -huh. Well, plastic. most plastics are already solids, so they're already technically frozen. Okay, rephrase my question. What would happen if you put plastic in the freezer? I thought you might say that, so my next bullet point <laughs> answers this question. Um, so when you cool plastics down, it tends to change their mechanical properties. Um, with a lot of plastics, if you were to cool them down into the freezer, they go from being ductile and bendy to being brittle. So if you were to put your plastic bottle in the freezer um, and then smack it against the table, it might become so brittle that it would actually fracture. Um, so that's what happens when you freeze plastics. Why does plastic go white when you put it apart? Right, this is really cool. It's kind of for two reasons. When you When you bend a piece of plastic the molecules in that plastic are ordinarily kind of like a lot of them are jumbled around like spaghetti. But if you pull them apart, then you start to make those molecules align. A material scientist would consider this as being crystallizing. And the optical properties of a crystal are different to the optical properties of the spaghetti like mess at the beginning. And the, the crystalline material is white. So that's one reason. Another reason is that when you when you pull a plastic material, those molecules sort of get get pulled around as well. Like if you were going to pull a plate of spaghetti or like you wouldn't do that. But if you did, then that's what would happen. Um, if you get a crack in a plastic, then some of the long string like molecules, they can exist on both sides of that crack. And this is a phenomenon called crazing. Um, and when you get something that is crazing, then that alters the the optical properties so the way that the material can scatter light so that's another reason why it goes white i have one more question yeah uh, why isn't everything made of plastic um because sometimes we need things to be stronger or to have better thermal properties or to um look nicer um sometimes we need things to last for longer than a plastic can last um sometimes we need things to be more see-through than plastic can be um, sometimes we need things to conduct electricity, although sometimes plastics can, but that's another story. Um, so although we can make a lot of things out of plastics, there are some things that other materials are better for. Is plastics your favourite type of material? No. What is your favourite class of material? Um, oh, 
I think I like metals. <laughs> <laughs> Why did I have to think so long? <laughs> okay, that's all my questions about plastic. Okay, thanks for coming on, Keris. You are very welcome. Thank you for having me. No worries. <laughs> So that was my brilliant chat with Kimberly and my wonderful question and answer session with Karis Bradley. Thank you so much to them for coming on the show. If you've got a materials question that you'd like to ask, don't forget you can tweet me at Real Talk, that's R-I-A-L Talk, or you can email me at realtalkpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, just search for Real Talk, all one word. Thank you all so much for listening. I've been Anna Pajajski and I look forward to seeing you next time on Real Talk. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.